Welcome to Beyond Bite Wings, the business side of dentistry, brought to you by Edwards & Associates PC. Join us as we discuss how to build your dental practice, optimize your income, and plan for your future. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Edwards & Associates PC is not rendering legal, accounting, or professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information that is shared. At Edwards & Associates PC, our business is the business of dentistry. For help or more information, visit our website at enassociates.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Bite Wings. Today, we have a very special episode and quite honestly, very applicable to the time when we'll be releasing it. And we're going to call it Fresh Out of Dental School. In the studio here, we have Robert, and my name is Ash Fezula. Now, how how should we start this episode, Robert? Well, I think we just start talking about any of the considerations that a recent dental school graduate might have. And Mm -hmm. I think you've heard uh, from some of our clients some questions. I know one thing a lot of them uh, are wondering about is, well, two things probably. One of them is they're looking for their first associate contract. What kind of things should they consider? I know it, it's it's interesting. Just in the last few days, I've seen uh, a couple of contracts that were very contrasting in style. One of them was literally three pages long, and, and the other one was literally about 17 pages long. So wow. what, what in the world could be that different? about associate contracts. And I think the first one was written, honestly, I think it was written by a doctor because he didn't mm-hmm. want to pay an attorney to do it. And, mm-hmm. and it, of course, it omitted a ton of things that should have been included, but that was probably to the advantage of the associate. One big thing that was omitted was a uh, restrictive covenant. Mm-hmm. And so in in that case, you know, the associate could literally go across the street and start his own practice and compete against the doctor he had been working for once he establishes a relationship with those patients. So it's very important that things like that be included in contracts. The other contract was written originally by an attorney, and then we have taken it and adapted it over the years for a lot of our individual associate clients. And it pretty much is written from the standpoint of protecting both the associate and the doctor. It's a win-win situation. And that's pretty easy to do if if you have the cooperation of, of both parties. So I, I, I think that's a big concern. Another big concern of, about recent graduates is, you know, when can I start my own practice? When should I start my own practice? Am I going to be able to borrow money? How much of a down payment am I going to have to put down on my practice? So those are a mm-hmm. lot of questions I hear all the time. What about you? What do some of the clients ask you about? I see. No, it's a, those are all valid concerns, it seems like, because uh, now that I think about the questions that I get asked, one of them that I recently got asked was actually in relation to the associate agreement that you mentioned. He wasn't really sure what kind of things to pay attention to in that agreement. So what would you say in your experience, some of the things that they need to pay attention to and see if they're actually favorable for them before they sign the agreement? Well, a lot of times the things that I see that are omitted most often are Mm -hmm. allowances for continuing education Mm -hmm. or specifically setting uh, forth the terms of taking time off. 
whether whether it's uh, PTO, vacation, sick, or just you know whatever. Uh, a lot of times, those issues are just completely left out of the contract because nobody thought about them. One big issue these days is, can I be paid as an independent contractor or do I have mm-hmm. to be an employee? Mm-hmm. And that's a big issue. If you ask the IRS or the Department of Labor, there are no independent contractors. You have to be considered an employee. And you know, mm-hmm. I would tend to agree with that if the doctor is only gonna work in one practice or one location. But if you're working in multiple locations for multiple owners, I believe you can still justify being treated as an independent contractor. And there's more advantages for working as an independent contractor than there are as working as an employee. Now, from a compensation standpoint, would you say the terms would be the same whether this person is going in as a W-2 employee versus an independent contractor? No, they're generally different because if you go in as an independent contractor, obviously you're paying, you're responsible for paying your own taxes, and that includes the payroll taxes. If you are a W-2 employee, then your employer is paying half of your Social Security and Medicare tax, in other words, payroll taxes. So there should be a disparity between the pay rates. Now, that's another thing doctors and associates typically don't understand taxes and they don't understand numbers as well as you know a financial person. So a lot of times they'll offer them the same percentage and it may be of production or collections and it may be as a W-2 or an independent contractor. So there's those things should really be different. They should be taken into account. But if they don't get a financial person like us involved, then generally they don't think of that. And I think it also has a lot to do with their schooling. I don't think there are dental schools that actually teach business to a lot of these recent graduates or how to read numbers or what to pay attention to, you know, from a financial standpoint. Well, and that's been my experience as well. I know when I used to speak at uh, one of the dental schools uh, here in Texas to the fourth-year students, I think they had one class, one semester of their four years that was considered business, and mm-hmm. and what they taught them to do there was write a business plan. And mm-hmm. and I think, uh, honestly, that uh, that's totally useless because when mm-hmm. they graduate, I've actually had lenders, banks, that c- would tell me specifically, do not provide us a business plan. We know your business. We know you're a dentist. We loan specifically to dentists. We don't want to see a business plan. We know what wow. you're capable of, and we'll make the loan based on the borrower, not based on a projected you know, business plan, because projections are only as good as the paper they're written on. Mm-hmm. That's true. Now, these recent graduates, I mean, when they get out of school, uh, for a lot of them, it's 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 very daunting because they're transitioning basically from being a student into essentially the real world. And some of these students may not have worked while they were in school. What would be some of the outlets that they can reach out to to look for opportunities, especially if they're looking for an associateship? Well, a lot of the big, I don't know if I'd call them DSOs, but the big corporate dentistry like, mm-hmm. the, like the Monarchs or Bright Smiles or some of the big ones like that mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. always looking for associates. They'll take them full-time, they'll take them part-time, and they're generally pretty generous with their pay. And sometimes they don't even require a restrictive covenant. So they're pretty flexible and they're almost always needing doctors to work for them. 
And the advantage of working for a place like that is that it'll help you get your skills up. Because when you're in dental school, you kind of work at your own speed. It can be as slow as you want it to be because the focus is on accuracy. It's not necessarily on speed at all. And so later on, when you get out of school, then you learn to, to do things accurate, but faster. You pick up your speed so you can see more patients, generate more revenue. And most associate doctors are paid on a percentage basis, so they want to generate as much dentistry as possible. Now, what do you think about the networking perspective, let's say by attending a meeting in one of their, let's say, local or state dental societies? I think it does a, that help? Well, I, I think there are, there are some networking opportunities at the dental school. I think there are some student organizations that have speakers come in, and some of those speakers would probably be looking for associate doctors to mm -hmm. hire up on graduation. I think mm -hmm. once, once you've graduated, certainly most private practitioners mm -hmm. are, are members of study clubs. You could attend some of the study clubs as a guest of one of the members and, and get some exposure there. Yes, you can go through the local dental societies, the state, the, the city dental societies, and, and network with people there. And of course, then there's the annual Dallas Southwest Dental Conference, where you could go there and meet lots of vendors some of those vendors are going to be corporate dentistry that are looking for associate doctors. So there's a lot of opportunities to network. And if you wanted to work on a per diem basis, there are temp agencies that will hire doctors to work, you know, in, in, in places that they're needed, whether there's a doctor that's ill or whether there's a doctor that's on vacation and they'll place you in there to cover for that person. So there's a lot of opportunities if you just get out there and, and be active. The main thing is, is don't sit at home and just wait on a phone call. <laughs> Get out there and be active and actively look for a job. Right. And that's actually true in any profession, honestly. Sure. Now, the other thing I also want to go over with you, uh, especially regarding associates, how important do you think it is um, for an associate to learn other skills, like from an operational standpoint, and not just, you know, the services that they provide, especially if they're planning on opening up a practice of their own someday. Well, you know, we always tell the associate doctors, always, every time I tell them, you know, keep your eyes and ears open. When you're working as an associate, watch the front desk, watch the chair side, watch the people that run the business, watch the office manager, be like a sponge, absorb as much information about the business as you can. Mm -hmm. but, but then it's a catch-22. Do they spend a lot of time learning? Or do they spend a lot of time doing dentistry? And of course, doing the dentistry generates the income, right? So that one wins mm -hmm. out every time. Because I can't tell you how many times a doctor has worked someplace two or three years. Now they're starting their own practice. And they tell me, I know nothing about running a business. Because they weren't paying attention during the three years they were an associate. They were just doing dentistry. And that's right. the, I think that's the biggest mistake or the lack of focus that a lot of the young doctors make is not also spending some time trying to learn the business of dentistry. It makes sense because in the long term, you know, if they are paying attention to other things aside from just the work that they have to do, especially from an operational standpoint, they can essentially reduce their learning curve when they do start their practice. And, and it'll probably even be easier on their teammates because they'll know exactly how the doctor wants this practice to be run, what are the core values, and they'll be able to adapt them sooner than later. Well, and it'll be a whole lot less stressful for them and less overwhelming because they won't be learning because they have to. At this point, they will have already learned that and be able to implement it.
And there's a big difference mm-hmm. between learning things because, you know, you're going to go bankrupt if you don't or mm-hmm. implementing things that you already learned when you were an employee somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So if they would just spend so, yeah. some time paying attention to the business of dentistry while they're an associate, it'll pay off in dividends later on. Of course. And you actually, you know, mentioned something uh, very relevant and important. It's it's the values. I, I think it's also necessary for associates to find a place to work where they share similar values with them and something that they can probably carry on to their practice when they decide to open one. Well, that is important. And there are a lot of matching services out there. I say mm-hmm. a lot. There's some matching services out there that will actually give the the doctor and the associate a uh, personality traits test and see if they're okay. compatible. Because, you know, the last thing, well, let me say this. 80% of all the associateships don't work out. That's uh, per the ADA. And a lot of times the reason they don't work out is because the doctor was too desperate to hire someone and he just took whoever walked in the door. If they're more compatible and if they do some of this testing first to see if they're compatible in, in practice styles and in personalities, then mm-hmm. they will last longer and work better together. Of course, that makes sense. And what do you think about you know an associate who was given the opportunity to maybe join in as a partner you mean buy in later on buy in basically is that something that you will condone or would you especially if there was no personality test done before you know uh, the associate was hired well if there wasn't a personality test done when they were first hired i would certainly strongly suggest that a personality test would be done uh, before there's a Uh, Mm buy-in again to make sure that they can continue to work together on an equitable basis. Mm-hmm. I, I have heard and, and seen of some cases where the associate doctor was just the perfect employee. And then when he bought in, all of a sudden he became Dr. Jekyll and just you know, <laughs> went, went crazy and went off on the staff and, and they hated him. And, and ultimately that resulted in a, in a divorce. I mean, they had to split up the partnership and, and get the doctor out of there. And that is incredibly difficult to do. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. So yeah, so a lot of considerations to be made by the new dentist, so to speak. Now, something else else you did ask, you said, what about an associate buying in? Well, I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's the logical choice. If you're a doctor and you have brought in an associate and you've learned to work with that person pretty compatibly over the past couple of years, and if you're looking then to sell part of your practice to someone, that's your logical choice is that associate. Mm -hmm. But I got to tell you, over half the time, I don't see that person actually buying in for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you what the reasons are. It's, it seems like it's always a, a different reason. But I've seen some say, oh, I would never want to own part of this practice. Well, that means he doesn't like the way the seller doctor, the owner doctor is practicing dentistry. So my question is, what are you doing there? Why have you worked there for two years? And, you know, the response is, it's a paycheck. And, you know, that's terrible. But that's the way a lot of people feel about their relationship with the their, their, their owner doctor. So I think if you do the personality testing early on, it, it's better for the um, both work, work relationship. Yeah, for the whole office, not just both parties, but the whole office, everybody else as well. I see. So that's, that's good. Now, let's talk about the graduates that are thinking about starting their own practice right off the bat. Is it even possible? Because, you know, they have this giant student loan with them. And then if they want to start their own practice, most likely if they don't have the cash to do so, they'll have to attain additional financing. Is it possible? And if it's possible, 
How much can they expect to get? Is it determined by how much they're currently making as an associate? Or if they're not even working, I mean, how, how would that work? So a lot of associates will, oh, I don't know about a lot, a few associates will run a start, want to start their own dental practice right out of dental school. And that's uh, pretty much impossible with maybe a few exceptions. But the, the, the lenders that specialize in loaning to dentists want them to exhibit the ability to generate dentistry. So they want to see a minimum of four to six months of production mm-hmm. at a certain level before they'll entertain the idea of giving that person a loan to start their own business. Now, generally, six months isn't very long. I like to see a couple of years experience. Most of the lenders will do it in as little as six months. If that doctor has exhibited the ability to produce a certain amount of dentistry, and I say a certain amount, it varies from lender to lender. But if you've if 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 you've shown that you can produce twenty five, thirty, thirty five thousand dollars a month in dentistry, then you're going to be able to get a loan to start a practice. And getting a loan to start a practice is, is pretty easy. The banks will loan over a hundred percent of the amount necessary to build out a leased space and equip it to start seeing patients. Oh wow! Uh, and I say, would they need to have any residual money in their account before they apply for the loan? Don't need to have uh, any assets really to apply for the loan. They need mm-hmm. to. I mean, basically, we say. If you can fog a mirror, they'll make a loan to you. <laughs> You're breathing and, and you can have a valid driver's license and a valid dental license. You can pretty much get a loan for $550,000. And the student loans don't really penalize you, whether they're 200000 or 400000 You're still going to be able to get that loan to start the dental practice. That's awesome. And with the rates out there today, it, it's, it's uh, generally a pretty favorable environment. It always has been. But because of the pandemic, we've seen a whole lot less startups in the last, I don't know, 15 months than historically. And there are some additional hoops you have to jump through now to borrow the money, but it's Mm -hmm. still available. It's still being done. And uh, although there are fewer, probably the ones that are getting started now are stronger than they would have Mm -hmm. been a year ago. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, uh, one other question that I also get from recent graduates well not so recent they've probably been in the market for six months or a year and they're finally considering okay maybe it's time for me to do my own thing you know where i can set my own salary pick my own hours and run the practice according to my core values they oftentimes try to pick a location for their startup where it's within a close proximity to their home and oftentimes it's it seems like they choose to live in a city that's already very saturated with a lot of dentists? You know, and what I see is that they, 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 they like to live wherever they went to dental school. And, Mm -hmm. and I wish some of the recent graduates would move a little bit further out, maybe Mm -hmm. with an hour's drive, hour and a half drive away. There's Mm -hmm. a whole lot less competition and -hmm. they would have a, a, I think a more thriving practice with less competition. Right. Makes sense. Yes. And, but why do you think they're so opposed to that idea? I think they get comfortable in the area where they've been the last four years. They've, they've gone to, let's say they've gone to dental school here in Dallas Mm -hmm. and they live in Dallas and they've developed a network of people they know in Dallas and their Mm -hmm. friends are in Dallas. And so that's where they want to practice. 
again, if they would move a couple hours away, they would have a whole lot less competition, probably a more thriving practice, easier to to find a location that's viable for a practice because, you know, the most important thing in deciding on where your practice is going to be is just like buying a house. It's location, 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 because you're, right. gonna, you're probably going to be there 20 years or more. So picking a location is really the most important thing. And there are companies out there that will help them pick the location for, really? for the practice. Oh, yes. There are companies that specialize in working with dentists on, on finding locations for them to start practices. And they do it based on demographics. They can tell you how many dentists per capita there are in various different locations. And of course you want to look for the, the lowest ratio so you can go there and have less competition. Of course, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And you actually, you know, uh, pointed out a very important point, which is being comfortable. I feel like a lot of our new graduates need to understand that in order, especially if you're planning on becoming a business owner, you need to find a way to get out of that comfort zone. Well, I know some consultants, one in particular that says, if you're comfortable, you're not creating results. Mm -hmm. So you're exactly mm -hmm. correct. You have to get out of your comfort zone to create results, to create change. And that's important. And people need to think about that if, you know, and, and, and again, I see a lot of clients that come to me, a lot of new dentists come to us and, and, and ask, you know, where should I expect to be in five years? And everybody thinks they can have a million dollar practice in five years, mm -hmm. but, but people get comfortable when they're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and maybe they're generating 750, 800, 850 a year in collections from their patients. And at that point, they're comfortable and they quit pushing and they never get a million dollar practice. Yes. So, so yeah, very important consideration to be made by the recent graduates before they decide. So a lot of factors go in. A lot of um, factors. And now, it, is there anything in particular that you may want our listeners to listen to before they decide to jump into this new world? Well, there's an overwhelming amount of information out there on starting your own practice, and I couldn't begin to tell you where to start, but there is just tons of information available on the internet or from other dental specialty CPAs like ours. And I think that you, I don't, I don't think you can really get a team involved too early in your career. Don't try to do things on your own. Don't try to reinvent the wheel go to someone else that's already invented the wheel and ask them for their opinion. Ask for help. Mm -hmm. You know, go out there and, and capitalize on other people's experiences and get Absolutely. them, get them to, to share their experiences with you and, and advise you or mentor you or whatever you want to call it. But take mm -hmm. advantage. And I think it's better if you do that in person than if you get a lot of information over the internet. You can never be really um, sure how reliable some of the sources are on the internet. Absolutely. Um, but there's a lot of information available and it can come from uh, any sources. What we try to do is we try to liaison with enough vendors that can help out our clients that if someone comes to me and asks me a question, then I can tell them, you know, to answer your question, go see this guy or go see that guy or go talk to that person. That's the best way. Get, get, get connected with someone that has connections that can really send you in the right direction to get answers to your questions if they can't answer them themselves. Right. So seek out for guidance, for help. It's okay to ask for help. Absolutely. And that's what we try to, to do to our clients. I, don't, I tell everybody, don't think of us as your traditional accounting firm. Think of us as a financial advisory firm for dentists. That's what we do.
that's right. That's who we are. Well, thank you so much again, Robert, for sharing all these helpful tips, pointers, and the information. Sure, our listeners, especially the ones that are about to graduate or have already graduated, I'm sure they'll appreciate it all. Well, I hope it's helpful. And if anybody has any questions, tell them how to get in touch with us. Oh, of course. Yes. So if you guys have other questions or would want us to elaborate on anything that we talked about today, please feel free to reach out to us at info at eandassociates.com. Till then, you guys take care and have a good day. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to Beyond Bite Wings on your favorite podcast platform. For more info, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or reach out to us on our website. You can also shoot us an email at info at eandassociates.com.